The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your 5 at 5. Bracing for CPI. Wall Street preparing for a fresh read on consumer prices that will show the Fed how far it remains from its 2% target. But if recent history is any guide, that isn't necessarily a bad thing for stocks. Also on investors' radar is retail. And uh, what has been a very mixed quarter for the sector as Home Depot gets set to report this morning. In San Francisco, world leaders meet for this year's APEC summit as new details emerge ahead of President Biden and Xi Jinping's face-to-face meeting tomorrow. Plus, two big wings for Boeing as that stock set to extend yesterday's impressive gains. And later, premium gas and premium prices for one very rare Ferrari that just sold for a record at auction. It is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Mike Santoli in for Frank Holland. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. It was a mixed day on Wall Street yesterday. The S&P 500 did hold steady around that 4,400 mark. It has held on to about a 7% rally in the last couple of weeks. You see this morning, we do see modest gains further. Uh, The Nasdaq, the outperformer of the morning so far. The Dow uh, up 28 points at this point. Big win yesterday for Boeing. Closing up more than 4%. Uh, that was part of the Dow's gains yesterday and accounting uh, for, in fact, all of those uh, gains on a net basis. An historic day for chips as well. NVIDIA capping off its longest daily win streak in seven years. Uh, that makes it up nine sessions in a row, uh, 20% just on a month-to-date basis. But today, it's all about retail with Home Depot kicking off what's set to be a very busy week for the sector. Uh, here you see uh, Home Depot, Target, Uh, Walmart, TJX, all trying to firm up ahead of those reports. Also, checking the bond market, yields were pretty much steady yesterday. Remember, the 10-year had peaked about three weeks ago, around 5%. We're down to 4.62 as we do wait uh, for that uh, CPI reading. Two-year note yield peaked around 5.20, hovering around 5%. In energy, oil prices also tried to uh, get some traction yesterday after the recent slide, though they are uh, pretty much uh, hanging around just below that $80 mark, 78.25 on WTI. All right, let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Juliana Teitelbaum is in our London newsroom with the early action. Juliana. Mike, good morning. Well, here in Europe, we're trading modestly higher to start out today's trading session. The only exception being the UK market. FTSE 100 is down by about a third of a percent. It's been a busy 24 hours in UK politics. Just before WEX kicked off yesterday, we got news that former Prime Minister David Cameron would be returning to government. That continues to be a big story here, a big headline in the UK, because it could change the direct trajectory of Rishi Sunak and the Conservative Party, which has been polling very poorly versus the Labour uh, the Labour 
Labour Party. Now, outside of the UK, we've got uh, the Zetrodax trading about a third of a percent higher. You've got about four tenths of a percent higher for the Spanish and Italian markets. Similar gains for the Swiss market. Now, today's trade comes after a 75 basis point gain yesterday for the main benchmark. It's third positive session in four. So things have been uh, pretty positive here in Europe for the last few trading sessions. Now, from a sector perspective, we've got uh, basic resources outperforming alongside real estate. Those sectors up about eight tenths and nine tenths of a percent respectively. Within basic resources, Glencore is the outperformer. The stock up after clinching a deal with tech resources. On the downside, you're seeing a bit more selling in the telcos, down about seven tenths of a percent. Oil and gas and financial services trading lower as well. But I would say overall, fairly muted trade as investors here in Europe also brace for that U.S. CPI print, Mike. Uh, it is the, uh, the catalyst of the morning, Juliana. Thanks so much. Investors, as we mentioned, gearing up for a key data point this week, October CPI. It's due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. The numbers could create some problems for the Fed in its fight to bring inflation down to its 2% target. Headline CPI is forecast to rise just one-tenth of a percent on a month-to-month basis thanks to lower gas prices. That would put the annual rate at 3.3%, down from 37 in September. But core inflation remains a bit stubborn. Economists expecting an uptick of 0.3% in the month. Uh, that would be the third straight month it's, uh, it, that it has run to that at that level or higher. That would keep the annual rate around 4.1%. Let's talk more about this and the broader markets now with Gene Goldman, Chief Investment Officer at Satera, joins me here. Good morning, Gene. Good morning, Mike. How are you? So the whole story really of this year, in a sense, is will inflation come down faster than the economy slows or perhaps uh, gets toward uh, stall speed? That's been okay. I mean, that's basically been how things have gone. How does today's number fit into that story as we do see, maybe because of some sort of technical adjustments, the core level uh, kind of show little progress on a month-to-month basis? Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. I think CPI today will come in a little bit lower than expected. I think you look at, you touched a little bit earlier, gas, energy prices are coming down, used car prices are coming down. Housing will start to be fully affected by felt in the CPI. What we're watching carefully are the medical costs. Medical costs, obviously, that, you know, the, the weirdness of how they calculate that. An annual adjustment. The annual yeah, adjustment. Exactly. So we're watching it very carefully. I think regardless of inflation, inflation is going in the right, in the right territory. Plus, the economy is starting to slow down. All this says together is that the Fed, in our opinion, will be cutting rates next year, late next year. You know, the Fed, of course, we should mention, I mean, its specific inflation target is the PCE measure, which yes. is 2%. And they're not even planning to get there. Uh, by their own outlook till 2025, right? So they're yeah. kind of giving themselves a long glide path to yeah, get there. Exactly. But if you look at the September dot plot, the yeah. Fed has laid out and said in, September, in next year, no recession, but they plan to cut rates. Right. So at the same time. So that's going to be very interesting. Yeah. And that certainly is uh, what their best guess as of September. We'll see how it plays out from there. I mean, a big question for investors has been, can the economy and valuations handle what's happened to long-term yields, right? We talked about this big ramp up to 5% on the 10-year Treasury. Corporate yields obviously have tracked higher as well. Um, what's your take on whether, in fact, that jeopardizes the economic expansion? So let's start with the first part, yields. We think yields are going to range between 4 to 5%. If you think about sort of pre-zero interest rate policy, 4 to 5% tended to make about cents. That's where it is. That's where we expect. The economy, though, so we're a little bit different than a lot of our peers. We think that the economy cools into a soft landing. Mm-hmm. The reason we say this is what's in the recession today? Housing, autos, manufacturing. They're all starting to stabilize. The big kicker that we saw last quarter, 
third quarter productivity up 2.2% year over year. Yeah. You've got productivity rising, inflation coming down. That's a kicker for growth. So we're not saying that we'll have big gangbuster growth in the fourth quarter or next year, but the growth will be good enough to keep us sort of in that soft landing perspective. Is the market positioned for that scenario? Because if you look at the divergence between, yes. you know, the huge mega cap growth stocks, we keep talking about dominating yes. the indexes. A lot of the cyclicals, the small caps, the financials have struggled. Right. So if the market collectively had faith in a soft landing scenario when the Fed's going to be cutting rates without a recession, you would think the other parts of the market would be doing better or are too cheap. Yeah, I think the markets are, you know, the, mark, the correction we had in July through September was important. So it pushed stocks down 10%, provided some great opportunities. Valuations have improved. We think when the Fed cuts rates next year, market breadth widens. And the key point, the third thing we've been telling our advisors and clients is that we are over the earnings recession. Mm -hmm. Last quarter, earnings were supposed to be down half a percent, looking like at 4% or so. So profit margins are stabilizing. Earnings recession is over. So we're optimistic. So what does this mean? We're, we're buying value. Our three favorite sectors are the key value sectors. Financials, industrials, healthcare, huge opportunities there, and we're also overweight small cap. We're positioning in to get into 2024. You know, the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey just out this morning did say that professional investors have migrated toward bonds. They actually believe maybe rates have peaked and are headed yeah. lower. Uh, they have overweighted fixed income as well as equities. Does that imply to you uh, that uh, that people are kind of a little bit too optimistic or that they're in the right place? I'm not sure what other people are doing, but we're optimistic. You think about the 10-year, the 2-year Treasury yield. You're still about 2 to 3% above inflation. And the economy is slowing down and inflation is slowing down. So there's some huge opportunities. We've been slowly, incrementally adding to duration interest rate sensitivity to our portfolios. We, are, we like bonds at this level. Right. So you're seeing that value has been created out there at the long exactly. end. Exactly. Right. Gene, great to talk to you. Thanks great so much. Talk. Thanks, Mike. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, the details into the hack attack that hit the largest bank in the world and why it could have been present, uh, prevented. Plus, getting set for tomorrow's Biden-Xi face-to-face and the future of U.S.-China relations. And later, your big money movers and one EV maker disappointing investors in a big way. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Mike, good morning to you. Well, new details into the hack attack against the New York arm of the Industrial Commercial Bank of China and one that disrupted trading in the U.S. Treasury market. According to The Wall Street Journal, back in March, the FBI and Department of Homeland Security warned ICBC officials and others using using previously compromised systems made by Clyde Dowling Citrix now of this growing ransomware risk, suggesting this recent hack 
could have been averted. Now, the ICBC is the world's largest bank and its services unit form part of the inner workings of the U.S. Treasury market. Stellantis says it's offering buyouts to roughly half of its 12,700 U.S. salaried employees in an effort to cut costs and reduce headcount. The parent company of Jeep, Dodge and Chrysler says the move is necessary to protect operations and prepare for the transition to electric vehicles. And unionized Starbucks baristas plan to strike Thursday, accusing the company of failing to fairly negotiate with stores that voted to organize. The strikes coincide with Starbucks Red Cup Day. Now, in response, Starbucks says it's actually the union that's refusing to fairly negotiate, adding it has been months since the two sides agreed to meet for contract talks, Mike. Savannah, thanks so much. All right, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit kicks off today in San Francisco ahead of the highly anticipated bilateral meeting between Presidents Biden and Xi Jinping tomorrow. And already we're getting word on what the two leaders are set to discuss and announce. Eunice Yoon joins me now from Beijing. Uh, so, Eunice, what's the latest on, on what we ought to expect? Well, you know, Mike, uh, what's interesting here in China is that as this summit draws closer and closer, there appears to be a wholesale change in the narrative around uh, China's relationship with the U.S. as well as about the U.S. Because for years, under President Xi Jinping, the government, as well as the state media, has been largely very critical of the U.S., uh, saying that it's a warmonger, that it's really uh, trying to uh, contain China and stop China from uh, becoming, um, uh, attaining its rightful place in the world. However, just in the past 24 hours or so, we're seeing a wholesale change of that narrative where the government has largely been saying the efforts to stabilize ties have paid off. All this progress has been led by President Xi Jinping and that President Xi is uh, talking now about the ways to solve must answer questions on U.S.-China ties. And so the, the overall narrative here is that despite the U.S.'s problems, President Xi Jinping has been gracious enough as the international statesman to come into place and overlook some of these issues to reach out to the Biden administration as well as to the American public at large. What's interesting here is that if you look at this positively, it could mean that the Chinese uh, really want to have a more stable relationship with the U.S. to be able to repair it, possibly because of the economic conditions here in China. Uh, also, uh, there's a, a growing expectation that the leaders are going to announce a deal on a crackdown of the fentanyl trade. So we're seeing potentially some progress here. Uh, China, under this uh, terms, would get tougher with companies that export ingredients for the drug. The U.S. Uh, would in turn lift restrictions on a Chinese uh, forensic police institute that the U.S. has suspected of human rights abuses. All of this is all uh, a work in motion, but that could possibly be a positive uh, just based on what we're seeing here in the state media. Of course, we can't jump to conclusions, Mike, too quickly uh, because this could just be temporary in that a lot of the messaging that we see here is aimed at the domestic audience. Hmm. Still, it uh, does seem as if it's, it's tacking in the direction of some kind of you know, de-escalation or, uh, or perhaps looking for common ground. I guess we also got these reports of the potential for uh, reopening uh, orders for, for Boeing aircraft and things like that. Are there issues mm -hmm. that you think are that we could potentially look out for, though, that might 
uh, complicate this situation? Are they, are they going to be taking up any matters uh, that might be more cause for friction than for, uh, for de-escalation? I think just the overarching um, fundamental difference that we see uh, between the U.S. and China uh, more and more when it comes to their policies, because we know here in China that uh, they definitely want the U.S. to lift the export controls. They're concerned about the sanctions on Chinese officials. They want to see the tariffs lifted. But as you all know, the Biden administration hasn't really indicated that they're willing to do this or that uh, just from a political standpoint, especially going into an election year, it's really difficult for the Biden administration to look soft on China. So uh, large, just the overarching uh, differences are really seen as the, the major hurdles uh, for uh, China as well as the U.S. to make any major headway. So I think what people are hoping for is it, that maybe the two will be able to stabilize the relationship enough so that we're, we're more in like a crisis management mode as opposed to really seeing the, the relationship flourish from here. Yeah, uh, obviously the starting point is, uh, is a little bit tense. We'll see where it goes. It seems like it'll be uh, a substantive one. Uh, Eunice, thanks so much. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, shares of Boeing coming off a banner day helped in part by some big news out of the Dubai Air Show. But rival Airbus appears to have some big news of its own. A live report from the airstrip in Dubai right after this. You might not think that a few simple words could make you crave McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But if you listen closely to the sound of me saying, McGriddles, McMuffin, you might be wrong. Time now for your big money movers. Shares of Fisker are plunging. The EV maker reporting a wider than expected third quarter loss and revising its production target to between 13,000 and 17,000 vehicles. That's down from a previous 20,000 goal. Fisker says it only delivered around 1,100 ocean electric SUVs during the quarter after struggling to get them from a factory in Austria to customers in the U.S. The stock indicated lower by 13%. Cody shares getting a boost. The company announcing an increase to its share buyback program by $600 million, bringing the total to around a billion. This in an effort to assist with a planned hedged buyback transaction of 25 million more shares in 2026 as Cody looks to bring its diluted share count down to 800 million. The shares ahead by 2% this morning. And the iShares U.S. Medical Devices ETF, symbol IHI, coming off its best daily performance since April. Some optimism around heart disease and diabetes-related device makers after some concerns had gotten into those uh, stock prices, driving strength in the sector as a bounce. Following fresh positive data from Novo Nordisk's Wigovi weight loss drug on cardiac care. Among the biggest gainers, Penumbra, uh, Insulate, Tandem Diabetes Care, Transmedics, and Dexcom on the day yesterday. Turning to airlines and shares of Boeing riding high after securing a more than $50 billion order from Emirates Air at the Dubai Air Show this week. But rival Airbus counting on some deals of its own this morning. Our Dan Murphy joins me now from Dubai with the latest. Hi, Dan. Hey, Mike, good morning to you. Well, if you need any confirmation that global aviation is back in full swing, look no further 
than the Dubai Air Show. There are thousands of people on the ground here shaking hands and doing deals, seeking to tap into the recovery that we have seen in this sector post-pandemic. And of course, the big winner over the last 24 hours has been Boeing. As you say, shares surging the most on the Dow overnight and leading the pack here in terms of volume of transactions after it secured this $52 billion deal with Dubai's Emirates airline for 95 new wide-body aircraft, certainly adding to Emirates' existing fleet as one of the largest Boeing customers on the street. I had the chance to speak with the Emirates president, Sir Tim Clark, for more on the deal and to get his take as well on where he sees the aviation recovery trending. Listen in. So I think you're seeing um, not necessarily a paradigm shift, but something that has, something has happened. Um, and I often get asked, is this going to go on for the next three to five years? As I said, it's anybody's guess, but at the moment, it's remaining very strong through the summer of next year for Emirates. Um, so I kind of remain hopefully confident that it'll stay that way. Tim Clark there sounding pretty optimistic on the outlook moving forward. And Mike, you mentioned Airbus orders as well. They've managed to secure some smaller deals here, but we're still waiting on confirmation of that elusive 255 plus order from Turkish Airways. It is expected to be in the works. Reuters saying that that deal is basically approved, but we haven't seen any sign of confirmation just yet. It would certainly tilt the register in terms of volume of transactions out of the Dubai Air Show this year. Oh, for sure. Now, Israel's war against Hamas is, of course, still an ongoing concern in the region. Has this had an impact on the deal flow or any of the expectations around sort of longer term plans for investment in more air capacity? Absolutely. And this is something that I've been speaking with aviation executives on the ground here about. Clearly, Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza has been going on for more than a month now. We have seen a short-term impact in terms of travel demands, but most of the executives are still sounding quite upbeat about the resilience of this sector post-pandemic and, of course, how forward bookings look as well. Uh, Tim Clark, for his uh, own point, saying that Emirates is basically booked at near and above 50% capacity all the way through until next summer. So he's seeing numbers really returning here, despite the fact that we have this really unfortunate ongoing conflict in the region, Mike. Dan Murphy in Dubai, thanks so much. All right, let's get a check on more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Mike. Good morning to you. We begin with reaction at home to the Israel-Hamas war. Tens of thousands of people are expected to march in Washington, D.C. today for a rally in support of Israel. The organizers expect 100,000 people to gather at the National Mall, calling for the release of hostages taken by Hamas, and also addressing the recent spike in anti-Semitism across the country. After months of pressure, the Supreme Court justices say they are now bound by a formal code of conduct. A 14-page document outlines what activities to avoid, when they may need to recuse, and reaffirms existing rules around gifts. The big question is how the new rules will be enforced and what happens if a justice breaks a code. And now to the NFL. Despite committing four turnovers, the Buffalo Bills managed to take a point-one lead over the Denver Broncos late in the fourth quarter on Monday Night Football. But after the Broncos moved down the field, kicker Will Lutz closed out a week that saw a record number of walk-off field goals, drilling the game winner to give Denver the upset win 24-22. to So, Mike, you are up to date now with your news and sports headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis. Thanks so much.
As we head to a break, uh, today's consumer stat, 0.5%. Total card spending per household, including debit and credit cards, was down half a percent in October when compared to the prior October, according to Bank of America. Ahead, we'll see what that means for sales at restaurant chain First Watch, a company already dealing with higher labor and food costs. We'll be right back. It's about 5.30 a.m. in New York, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what is on deck. Investors bracing for that critical CPI report and what it may mean for the Fed's policy path forward, a breakdown of how stocks may respond. Also, top of investors' minds, Home Depot results due out in just about 30 minutes. We tee up the key numbers you will need to watch. And averting a potential government shutdown, the House Speaker's plan to reach across the aisle to get a deal done with just days to do so. It's Tuesday, November 14th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Mike Santoli in for Frank Holland. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on how U.S. markets are shaping up as investors get ready for that October CPI report at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Futures right now uh, holding steady, actually putting uh, putting in a a bid for some gains at the open. uh, S&P 500 up a little bit more uh, than a fifth of one percent. Dow Industrials ahead by 44 points. Nasdaq outperforming here yesterday. Major indexes mostly around the flat line. The S&P 500 holding on to a recent 7% rally off that late October low. That CPI report set to show only a slight uptick last month thanks to falling gas prices. Looking back 10 months, uh, stocks have generally fared well on the back of this data point. On days of CPI releases, the S&P seeing an average gain of one-third of a percent on the day of the report, with the index closing higher seven out of the 10 reports so far in 2023. So as opposed to 2022, when the CPI report was uh, an occasion for lots of volatility, uh, disinflation this year has helped markets stay supported. Also, want to get a check on the bond market ahead of the CPI. Yields uh, are down just slightly. Yesterday, they held mostly steady. The 10-year note, 4.61%. The two-year, uh, pretty closely linked to Fed policy, just above It had peaked at 5.2% a few weeks ago. Speaking of those falling energy prices uh, that are going to help to soften up the CPI, also hit oil. Uh, Just around the flat line, uh, WTI crude down around 78.5 a barrel, uh, but up only modestly today and well below their recent highs. Natural gas uh, up slightly more on the morning. Home Depot uh, kicking off a busy week of retail earnings at the top of the hour. A key focus for investors potential slowdown in consumer spending with Home Depot logging negative transaction growth for the last nine quarters. Also, watching for any commentary on inventory reduction, operating margins and expectations for what is seasonally the weakest quarter for the company currently underway. Joining me now, Nimrod Kang, Chief Investment Officer and Senior Portfolio Manager at North Star Asset Management. Her firm is a longtime shareholder of Home Depot. Nimrod, good morning. It's great to have you here with us. Um, Home Depot is really the stock anyway, gone sideways for about a year and a half now, uh, well below its pandemic highs as I guess the uh, home improvement spending kind of normalizes. It's in contrast to how new home builders have done very well. What are you expecting out of uh, Home Depot's report? What's going to be most important to you as a thread to pull out of the numbers? Right, Mike. So this has been characterized as the year of moderation by Home Depot. So we, you know, like everyone else, fully expect that the comps will continue to moderate from here. They have been moderating the last two quarters. It's just the degree and the magnitude of that moderation that's going to be foremost on the minds of all investors, especially us. 
And especially, I, you know, it's too early. They usually don't give guidance for the next year for 2024, but they will talk about the fourth quarter um, and what does that look like. So a lot of focus on what we are expecting and how quickly is the consumer moderating or pulling back that spending. So much attention on the impact of higher interest rates on consumer spending. On the one hand, obviously, you have rates reset on things like credit card loans at home equity lines uh, and, of course, new mortgages, uh, which obviously restrain spending. But you have the other side, which says people who are kind of locked into their home uh, because either they uh, they have a, a low rate mortgage, they don't want to move. There's not a lot of inventory out there to move. Uh, they might be doing some more spending on their houses. So uh, how do you think it nets out in terms of what we're going to see about the overall health of the consumer through Home Depot's numbers? Right. So Home Depot gives the statistic 40 percent of their homeowners own their home outright, no mortgage. The rest, the 90 percent of the ones that have the mortgage, a vast majority, three fourths of that have mortgages that are locked in under 4% rate. But when we're thinking there's always the ongoing maintenance repair spending that we expect the consumers to do. That said, Mike, if you look at the longer term trend, especially uh, last few years with the pandemic, the homeowners did invest a lot into their homes. So we do expect that normalization and that trend to continue. And I think we will see that. I think one of the things to watch for Home Depot is, as you mentioned in your opening comments, the transaction growth has been negative for the last nine quarters. At some point, the comps get easier. So the transaction growth maybe isn't as negative. On the flip side, though, the ticket growth has helped has stayed positive. The last quarter was flattish, and that's because of inflate, uh, the inflation coming through. What the management has noted is that inflation is also rolling back. So basically, the cost increases are really coming in. Um, so from that perspective, we don't expect that the ticket growth will continue to deviate that much from the transaction growth. Um, you know, if you net both those things together, the management's guided towards two to five percent comp growth, negative comp growth for this whole year. First quarter, there was negative four. Second quarter, negative two. Back half is in that three percent down three percent range. And that's kind of what we would expect. Anything worse than that would definitely take a lot of attention from the investment community. And where does that leave you with regard to the stock? We mentioned, you know, your long-term holders here, but uh, the, the evaluation is definitely moderated relative to what it has been in the past. Home Depot also uh, one of the most aggressive companies typically at uh, buying back its own shares and, and kind of sharing capital uh, with investors. So uh, where, do you, where do you see it valued and uh, what's the opportunity here today? Right. So Home Depot, it's a stock that yields 2.9% on dividend yield, has grown dividend by 15% over the last five years. Even if you look at the long-term history of the company, it continues. We think the management can navigate the downturn here, the cyclical downturn here, and continue to position the company for long-term growth, make those really important um, investments. From that perspective, you know, the valuation, like you said, the PE multiples have moderated quite a bit. And on a mid to long term view, we think Home Depot continues to be a very attractive stock to own. And of course, they have that 15 billion share authorization that they can put to work. They do two billion in share buybacks every quarter as well. Yeah, uh, it's been one of the companies that's reduced its uh, public share count by an awful lot in the last, let's say, 15 years or so. Nimra Kang, thanks so much for your perspective this morning. Thank you. All right, happening now, Fed Vice Chair Philip Jefferson is speaking virtually at a conference on global risk, uncertainty, and volatility in Zurich, Switzerland. In prepared remarks, Jefferson says monetary policymakers may need to take more forceful action 
than otherwise expected to keep inflation expectations anchored when it is unclear how long high inflation might persist. He will be participating in a Q&A. We will monitor his comments, bring you any headlines as they cross. For now, a familiar message uh, from Fed officials saying that the job is not done on inflation. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Mike, good morning. Well, potential progress in Congress is pushed to get a deal done to avoid a government shutdown by Saturday's deadline. House Democratic leaders signaling some within the party are open to backing Speaker Mike Johnson's two-step plan to fund the government. Now, that possible support seen as critical after some conservative House members bashed Johnson's idea. The House plans to vote on the bill today. And in the Senate, Johnson's plans getting support from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, with the pair suggesting the continuing resolution will clear that chamber if the House approves it. Speaker Johnson will have more on his plan coming up on Squawk Box at 7.30 a.m. Eastern. Can't miss that one. Amazon and Snapchat reportedly striking an advertising agreement. According to Reuters, Amazon will let Snap users in the U.S. buy some products listed by the e-commerce company directly from ads on the social media app. The reported deal with Snap is a similar one struck by Amazon with Meta Platforms last week. And travel during next week's Thanksgiving holiday expected to be strong. According to AAA, it will likely be the third busiest Thanksgiving since it started tracking data back in 2000, with more than 55 million people expected to go 50 miles or more from home. AAA says that would mark a 2.3% jump from last year and be just below 2019 and 2005 levels, Mike. I'm staying home. I'm I was going to say, 50 <laughs> miles, I may be right on the border yeah. of that. We'll see, <laughs> see what traffic looks like. Savannah, thanks so much. Sure thing. All right. The October Consumer Price Index set to be released in just a few hours, offering a fresh view on inflation in the economy. While prices have been falling over the last year, one of the stickiest parts of inflation is the cost of food. Last month's CPI showing a 3.7 percent increase in food prices in line with the overall year over year uptick in inflation. Joining me now with what he's seeing in his business is Chris Tommaso, CEO of First Watch, a fast casual restaurant chain with 500 locations in 29 states. Uh, And Chris, it's great to have you here this morning. Um, How have you as a company and how have your customers been navigating uh, what's gone on with inflation so far this year after we did have, you know, the inflation shock and then it comes off the boil, but still seems like there's been some persistent uh, price elevation. See, this year has been somewhat of a relief versus last year. Um, You know, in our recent earnings announcement, you know, we talked about expecting our, um, you know, inflation to be um, uh, flat to negative one percent. So actual deflation for us. So it's it's been an easier year for us than last year, for sure. And and in terms of uh, how customers are responding, if you look at things like traffic, if you look at average ticket, yeah, we keep monitoring all the aggregate numbers for signs of consumer fatigue. Maybe there has been a bit of a slowdown in October. What are you seeing in your business? Yeah, I think, you know, in the restaurant industry, what we look look for is check management uh, first and then traffic counts. And uh, for us, you know, we've been fortunate that we've um, reported a couple of quarters of positive uh, traffic in our dining rooms. And we have not seen signs of check management. Where we've seen a little bit of softness is in the off-premises occasion, the, th- the third-party delivery, for example, uh, which is a, a much more expensive occasion for the consumer and a dynamic that really started during COVID 
and and has continued. But for us, our core business of of you know hosting and, and treating customers in our restaurants and them getting the full experience when they come in our restaurants, we haven't seen any slowdown there. Yeah, you may be uh, perhaps outperforming uh, the broader group there. There has been a bit of a deceleration in terms of food and beverage spend totally, still positive, but uh, somewhat below the, the rate of inflation in the latest month. Um, what about your uh, exposure to how much people are actually commuting. Is that part of your business? I know it's a it kind of skewed toward the early part of the day. Is, is that something you have a read on? It, um, it is. Uh, you know, our portfolio is pretty diverse. So we have we have urban locations, we have suburbs uh, predominantly. And, you know, we, I think we benefited a little bit from uh, the work from home aspect. And I also think we'll continue to because I just don't see, a, a, you know, a return to work at the levels we saw pre-pandemic. And so we're set up really well with our geographic dispersion to to uh, benefit from that. And also, um, you know, our restaurants perform pretty similarly uh, from a geography standpoint. So I think our coverage in 29 states and having, you know, more than 500 restaurants insulates us somewhat. We're not we're not all urban focused. And so uh, I think our real estate strategy over the year has has put us in a great position going forward. So that's interesting. Your, your take is that work from home is a net benefit for you because people obviously have the ability to sit down for uh, for a meal. Whereas I know that things like, you know, quick service restaurants, if it's a drive through business, it's all about how many people are driving past to go to work. Yeah, exactly. And so we're seeing a lot of work from home folks in our restaurants. You know, we're only open from 7 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. breakfast, brunch and lunch. Uh, we're seeing a lot of folks come in our restaurants at, at what would have been a shoulder hour a couple of years ago at 10 a.m., but they get their day started. And we're still seeing an uptick in um, power breakfast where people meet for breakfast uh, for meetings um, versus what we've seen with lunch in the past. So it, it is a benefit for us, we believe. Definite trend in recent years, the power breakfast, uh, yeah. uh, definitely displacing lunch. Uh, Chris Tommaso, First Watch, thanks a lot. Appreciate the time today. Thank you. All right, coming up, shares of key Apple supplier Foxconn getting a boost on the back of an earnings surprise, the warning it is now giving about the critical holiday season. Next, but first, as we head to a break, some of your top trending stories. A Friends-inspired Central Perk coffee shop set to open its first permanent real-life location in Boston this week. The cafe, which was delayed in opening following the passing of cast member Matthew Perry, will honor the actor through coffee sleeves featuring Chandler Bing's most iconic quotes. McDonald's unveiling a custom-designed line of Crocs based on its Grimace, Hamburglar, and Birdie mascots. The shoes, which hit store, sell, store shelves today, can also be paired with McDonald's-themed charms, including French fries and Big Mac and the Golden Arches logo. A, a 1962 Ferrari selling for a record $51.7 million at a Sotheby's auction this week. The sale marking the most expensive Ferrari to ever sell at auction and the most expensive classic car sold publicly this year. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Welcome back. Time now for your morning call sheet. Roth initiating coverage of Marvell Technology, giving it a buy rating and $60 price target. Roth saying it believes Marvell's broad data infrastructure-centric portfolio is well-positioned to benefit from high-performance data center infrastructure upgrades. Bernstein raising its rating on Kraft Heinz to outperform. Bernstein citing the stock's cheap valuation and fair relative positioning in a world of weight loss drugs like Ozempic, giving its uh, protein-forward U.S. portfolio in the U.S. And another upgrade, this time with Barclays, raising its rating and price target on the Mosaic Company, moving it to overweight and $42 per share price target. Barclays saying 
It sees more relative upside due to the company's exposure to potash as we move into a new agriculture season. Time now for your global briefing. China reportedly weighing new steps to help bolster its struggling economy. According to Bloomberg, the country's central bank plans to provide at least $137 billion of low-cost financing through government programs aimed at spurring home purchases. Glencore is buying a majority stake in tech resources coal business for nearly $7 billion. The British and Swiss mining giant expects the transaction to close in the second half of next year. Glencore had originally offered to merge, bidding about $23 billion for all of tech that would have entailed creating two separate companies, metals and coal, and then later spinning off the coal business. And India's trade minister says Tesla is on track to double its imports of parts from its country. India trying to expand its role in the global supply chain for electric vehicles. The trade minister making the comments after visiting Tesla's factory in Fremont, California. Foxconn reporting a surprise increase of 11% in third quarter profit beating forecasts. Apple's largest supplier was boosted by demand for consumer electronics ahead of the holiday shopping season. However, revenue fell 12% on weaker demand for PCs and cloud and networking products. Foxconn also forecasting sales will decline during the holiday quarter as Apple faces concerns around demand for its latest iPhone and other devices. Ahead, one word every investor needs to know today. Plus, why our next guest says this beaten up financial stock down 35% this year is a buy. That name is next. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Rivian looking to borrow up to $15 billion of taxable bonds to finance a manufacturing plant in Georgia. According to filings, the bonds will be backed by rental payments made by Rivian as part of an incentive package. Shares of Fisker sinking on weak third quarter results, the EV maker cutting its production target as it struggles to ramp up deliveries and grapples with internal control issues. Stock down 13%. Unionized Starbucks baristas plan to strike Thursday, accusing the company of failing to fairly negotiate with stores that voted to organize. The strikes coincide with Starbucks Red Cup Day. Stellantis says it's offering buyouts to roughly half of its 12,700 U.S. salaried employees in an effort to cut costs and reduce headcount. Watching shares of NVIDIA with the stock looking to extend its longest win streak in seven years, that stock is up nine sessions in a row, closing in on a fresh all-time high. And the latest Bank of America fund manager survey is out, saying investors remain cautious on macro but have turned bullish on interest rates. The September survey adds investors are overweight equities for the first time since April 2022, and 74% of respondents predict a soft or no landing from uh, the economy and the Fed. Now, speaking of the Fed, we are, of course, keeping a close eye on today's major data point, October CPI due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Joining me now is Jenny Harrington, CEO of Gilman Hill Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Jenny, good morning. Good morning, Mike. So um, CPI today coming into a market that has tentatively celebrated this decline in longer term bond yields. Um, That Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey kind of interesting because uh, investors seem to have taken the opportunity of the correction in stocks and the the drop in bond prices to actually raise their exposures. Where are you situated right now in terms of your expectations for how much more the market can give us this year? I think it's like max 2%. Mm. And I think there's probably after that more downside risk than anything. The way I'm looking at it is at best, 
if we make consensus expectations next year of 250, which would on the $250 on the S&P 500, that's assuming an 11% increase year over year. It seems totally implausible to me. You put an 18 times multiple on that, and that's where we are right now. So I just do not see mathematically how the market, as in the S&P, goes much higher from here. Well, judging by the scare quotes you used around the market, I, I know that you're thinking <laughs> that there are obviously uh, lots of different segments of this market that are treated differently right now by investors. So you have uh, the overall S&P 500 uh, valuation, as you mentioned, looking a little bit fuller rich. Uh, but then you have, I guess, the equal weighted S&P is at like 14 times forward earnings. So what looks better or worse to you within that? Right. And your first guest this morning laid it out to where he was saying they were all about value and small cap and things that are underpriced. So the way I'm looking at it is I honestly think people have forgotten, like, you know, investing 101, which is buy low, sell high. So I'm looking at it like you've got Google, which is rep Alphabet, which is representative of the S&P 500, which is trading at 25 times earnings and has 15% earnings growth. Whereas in our portfolio, we like things like Schwab, where it's trading at 14 times earnings and has 20% earnings growth ahead of it. So I think it's really time to sell some of the big winners and repurpose that money into stocks where, where there's really, really decent earnings growth. And then the multiple is much, much, much more modest. I, th I think that's the move right now. And what is your word of the day for investors that, that fits in with this, uh, this stance? Okay, so this is where it's like, it's good that I'm happy and smiley because my word of the day is so miserable. It's winter, right? And I was thinking of that Game of Thrones, like winter is coming. And so we looked at our discipline growth strategy and the biggest winners in that portfolio this year were Meta, Uber, XPO, Intel, Meta, Uber, XPO, all up 150, 170%. Um, but why? Why were all of those stocks up so much? Because of cost cutting and headcount reduction. And well, that's awesome that they were up so much when companies that are doing the best are up. And by the way, look at Apple's earnings, right? That was cost cuts too. When companies that are up so much are up so much because they're reducing headcount and reducing spending, that's really bad for the economy. So I look at it like, I don't think there's any way we're getting to consensus expectations. Mm -hmm. I think the multiple on the market is kind of the best it's going to get right now. Yeah. And I don't, see, I don't see the winners next year coming from huge earnings growth. I see it from coming from factors of margin improvement through headcount reduction and capital spending controls. And that's really, that's, that doesn't translate to a yeah. strong economy. No, uh, seems like companies so have kind coming, of tried baby. to get ahead of a recession. <laughs> yes, winter, no matter what we want, is coming. Jenny, good to talk to you. Jenny Harrington, appreciate it. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 